You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. I have to admit this morning that I am coming before you with some degree of fear, some degree of trepidation. And the reason why that is, is because I'm going to make a statement in this morning's message that is going to be controversial. It's going to be a statement that flies in the face of often what we hear in churches today. And some of you are actually going to think that what I say is heretical. So because I have some fear and trepidation about that, I would like for you to make a promise to me at the very beginning of this message. And so, if you are right-handed, I'd like for you to raise your right hand. If you're left-handed, my wife is left-handed, and so she says it's one of the most neglected groups in society today. If you're left-handed, I'd like to see your left hand. So let me see your right hands. Or if you're left-handed, let me see your left hands. All right, very good. And I'd like for you, keep them up, keep them up. You're making a promise to me. You're making a promise. So I want to ask you to repeat after me. Now, I'm not going to ask you to do something that puts your soul in jeopardy. I just want you to make a promise to me. I promise promise that I will not not grow a rock, a a tomato, a a rotten egg, or any other object at Chris Bounds for what he's about to say. I promise. Okay, I'm going to hold you to that promise later on. This morning, today, our scripture reading comes from the book of Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 24. Genesis chapter 2, beginning with verse 18. And I want to invite you to please stand in honor of the public reading of God's Word. If you'd please stand. Genesis chapter 2, beginning with verse 18. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, He took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Let us pray. Allow the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. 
in Genesis chapter 2, we see that Adam is alone in the garden. And Adam is in a perfect relationship with God. He walks and talks with God in a way that you and I will never ever experience in this life. We also see that he is in a perfect relationship with creation. The fall has not entered into the picture. And so creation responds exactly the way it's supposed to respond in relationship to Adam's exercise of stewardship over it. Adam is in a perfect relationship with God. He's in a perfect relationship with the created order. And then we come to verse 18. And we find a very jarring statement. It is a statement that stands in stark contrast to everything that we have read before. In verse 18, we see the Lord God say, It is not good. This stands in contrast to what we see in Genesis chapter 1, in which seven times... We see the declaration, and God saw what he had done, and he makes this declaration seven times, it was good. It was good, 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 it was good. And then it culminates by saying, at the end of the sixth day, it was very good. And then... We come to this statement in verse 18. It is not good. This is before the serpent has entered into the picture. This is before the problem of sin has arisen. There is something that is missing in everything that God has done to this point. And it is is not good. It is not good that the man be alone. I'm going to hold you to the promise that you made to me. And this is the statement that I'm going to give to you. What Genesis chapter 2 helps us to see What the Word of God, in fact, teaches to us is this truth, that God is not enough. God is not enough. God is not enough for humanity. God is not enough for Adam. Adam is in a perfect relationship with God. He's in a perfect relationship with the created order. And yet, there is something that is still missing in his life. And God recognizes, he sees this, so he causes a deep sleep to come upon Adam. And he removes from Adam's side a rib. And you know the story, how God takes that rib and he fashions a woman, he fashions Eve, and he brings that woman to Adam. And you can see the joy that Adam has. You know, as well as I do, that this is the biblical foundations for marriage. But I want to say to you that this is not only the biblical foundations of marriage. This is the biblical foundations of the truth that you and I were made, not just for a relationship with God. 
We were made for relationships, deep and meaningful relationships with other human beings. And even if you have a perfect relationship with God, it is not enough. One of the great questions in theology is what is the chief end of humanity? What is our purpose in life? Jesus answered this question for us. He said that the greatest commandment is to love God with all heart, soul, mind, and strength. But you remember, he did not end there. And he said the second command is inextricably, intimately connected to the first. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. We have our completion, we have our end, we have our purpose, not just in a relationship with God, but in our relationship with each other. God is not enough. A number of years ago, my wife Tamara and I went to see a Tom Hanks movie called Castaway. I hope a number of you have seen that, uh, that movie. But in that movie, Tom Hanks plays a character by the name of Chuck Nolan. And Chuck Nolan is a Federal Express efficiency expert. And his plane goes down in a violent storm over the South Pacific. And Chuck Nolan is the only one who survives the plane crash. And he finds himself stranded on a deserted island. And for the next 45 to 50 minutes of the movie... The bulk of the movie, we follow Chuck Nolan's struggle, his fight for survival. Adequate food, adequate shelter, adequate water. But we quickly realize that the greatest struggle that Chuck Nolan has is with loneliness. And he's stranded on this island for four years and he realizes if he doesn't get off of this island, he is not going to live. And so it is loneliness that compels him to build a raft, risk his life, and venture off of the island where he is eventually rescued and reunited with humanity. When my wife and I finished watching this movie, we went out with, for coffee afterwards. I should say my wife went for coffee, I went for a Diet Coke. <laughs> but it was the impetus for a conversation that we had. And the conversation went along these lines. Obviously, in this movie, Chuck Nolan is not a believer. He is not a Christian. Tamara and I recognize that we are Christians. And we have a deep and meaningful relationship with Jesus Christ. And our question that we pose to ourselves, would we have fared much better than Chuck Nolan in the same circumstance? If I was alone on an island, would I do any better than Chuck Nolan? If my wife was stranded alone on an island, would she do any better than Chuck Nolan? If I understand what the Bible teaches us, and if I understand what's taking place in Jesus' teaching and what we're taught here in the opening chapters of creation, the answer to that question is not much better. We were made 
to love God with all heart, soul, mind, and strength. But we were made for more than that. Augustine, one of his most famous statements comes from his autobiography, Confessions. In the opening paragraph of the Confessions, Augustine makes this famous declaration that our hearts are restless until they rest in you, O Lord. Amen. Preach it, Augustine. But the truth of the matter is, our hearts are also restless until they rest in other human relationships as well. It is attributed to Pascal. Actually, we have no evidence that Pascal said this, but it's attributed to Pascal. That Pascal says that in each of our lives that there is a God-shaped vacuum that nothing in the created order can fill. And that statement, whether Pascal made it or not, is absolutely correct. Only God can fill that hole, that vacuum in our lives. But I want to also tell you this morning that there is another vacuum that exists in our lives that cannot be filled even by God himself. It can only be filled by other human beings in our lives. We were made to love God, but not just to love God alone. We were made to love our neighbor and to be in deep and meaningful relationships with neighbor. I, uh, when I was a student at Asbury a number of years ago, won't tell you how many years ago that was, but a number of years ago, between my freshman and sophomore year, I was hired by a church in Arkansas to be a youth pastor. Now, I need to tell you, this church was an older church. And when I say an older church, I want you to know that the youngest member of this church was 68 years old. There were absolutely no youth in the church whatsoever. No youth. And so they hired me to come to try to start a youth program. And I want you to know I am such a gifted, I'm such an anointed uh, youth pastor that at the end of the summer, I had a whopping four youth. A whopping four youth. I spent most of that summer knocking on doors, trying to hang out where the teenagers were, trying to invite them to come and be a part of really a non-existent youth group. One day, I was knocking in a trailer court on doors. And I came to this one door and I knocked on it. And when the door opened, there was a young man there by the name of Paul Whitehead. And I have to tell you that Paul was one of the most pitiful teenagers, one of the most pitiful individuals I've ever met in my life. As a matter of fact, that first meeting that I had with him is still seared into my mind. When he opened the door, I saw a young man whose hair was matted in grease. I could smell him at a distance. And it was obvious that it had been weeks since he had had a bath. His face was already irrevocably scarred by acne. 
He was going to carry the damage that was done to his face for the rest of his life. And I introduced myself to him. And of course, if you've been going door to door all summer, you've been doing this, you have a spiel that you give to you. I had a better spiel than even Jehovah Witnesses or Mormons. <laughs> but I, I had my spiel. And so I started talking to, to, to Paul. He never said a word to me, but he did motion me to come into his trailer. And in the front of that trailer, you would not know this because you are too uh, young, but he was playing an Atari video game, an Atari video game. He never said a word to me. I'm incredibly uncomfortable. Here I am doing all the talking. No response, not even a visual or facial response uh, from him. And so I, I give him my full spiel, invite him to come to church, invite him to come be a part of the youth meeting that really wasn't existent at all at that time, but still maybe show up. And then uh, I finished my spiel and left. He never said a word to me. He didn't even get off the couch. I had to close the door behind me. I never expected to see Paul Whitehead again. But that Sunday morning, he arrived at church. And he was the very first member of the four-member youth group that I had. I'm getting at the end of the summer, and I have to tell you, again, such a gifted evangelist and disciple maker that I am, none of the four had given their lives to Christ. And I'm in my last two meetings with them, and so I'm, I'm, I'm compelling them. I am imploring them to, to give their life to, to Jesus Christ. And actually, in those two meetings, three of them gave their lives to Christ, but Paul Whitehead did not. I remember going to Paul and talking to him about his need to give his life to Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul said to me. He said, Brother Chris, more than I need Jesus, I need a friend. More than I need Jesus, I need a friend. I have to tell you, in my head, I am saying, Paul, you are not right. You need Jesus more than anything else. But I have to tell you, that's what I was saying in my head. But what I was saying in my heart is, Paul, I think you're right. Please, I am not wanting to minimize how important Jesus is and how important that we have our end and completion in him. But we fail to realize what Genesis 2 is pointing us towards, to what Jesus' teaching on the two commandments is pointing us towards. And that is that we have our end and we have our completion, not just in God alone, but in friendships and in relationships with other human beings as well. Two points of application, two challenges I'd like to give to you at the very end of this message. The first one that I want to say to you is this. Asbury University is a community 
that emphasizes community life. It emphasizes the building of relationships and the building of community in our midst. But I will tell you, and you know this to be true, that there are people who are in our midst who are standing on the outside looking in. That there are people here at Asbury who are languishing, who are suffering, even though they might have a great relationship with Jesus Christ, because they do not have significant relationships with other people. I am reminded uh, last semester, I usually read USA Today, very pop newspaper, but I read it every day. In the spring semester, there was an article about the rise in murders in the United States. This was 2016 statistics. And in 2016, there were 17,000 murders in the United States. There had been a significant rise in the number of murders. And that was the headlines, 17,000 murders. And please hear me, that is horrific, it's tragic, it is ungodly. But what struck me was that in the same article, 17,000 murders, but there were 43,000 suicides in 2016. Two and a half times more suicides than murder in this country. And one of the reasons why there are so many suicides, it's not the only reason, but one of the reasons why there are so many suicides in this country is because the enemy, the devil and his legions, the powers and the principalities of this world conspire to separate us and keep us isolated. One of my favorite images, favorite icons, is what's called Rublev's The Trinity. Many of you have seen it. It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit as angels that are centered around a table. But if you look carefully at that icon, you will see that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit do not have a closed circle. But rather, as you look at this icon, there is an openness there. There is a space that is an open invitation for you to come and sit and participate in the divine life. I want to tell you the most significant relationships in all of reality, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it is not a closed circle of relationships. It is an open circle. But our real danger is this, especially for those of us who find deep and intimate relationships and we find close friends, is that oftentimes we will soon close that circle and no longer be open to the other. This is my challenge to you. If you're here and you have found that circle of friends, man, you know the joy and the fulfillment of what comes in being in a right relationship with God and Jesus Christ, and you know the fulfillment that comes in being in a right relationship, deep and meaningful relationships with other human beings. But you have a closed circle. I want to invite you to open yourselves up to the other.
Look out for the person who's isolated. Look out for the person that you can see from a distance, doesn't have relationship. Take the initiative, go to that person, invite them to come and be a part of your circle. And please hear me, what I'm talking about here is not pity. I want you to know whoever that person is, they bring something and will bring something to your circle that you need. You need actually that person. Your circle needs that person as much as that person needs you. Can I challenge you? Open yourselves up. Be looking for the person who's been isolated and invite them in. And then I want to challenge, this is the second point of application. There are some of you who are living solitary lives here. And there are circumstances that have happened in your life that have actually led you to a life alone. Can I challenge you this morning in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus to once again put yourself out there to risk rejection, to risk hurt, and seek to develop a deep and meaningful relationship with another human being. Because I will tell you, for some of you, you are going to the scriptures, you're praying, and you're worshiping, and you're loving God with every part of your being, and yet there's still something you're recognizing in your life that's missing. It is because you've been made for something more than a relationship with God. If you have your circle of friends, open up. If you are isolated and living a life in all practical purposes alone, reach out to others. Risk being hurt. Because in the end, it is not good for man to be alone. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.